Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour that covers the results of a survey on pandemic key issues for veterinarians. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2020 by Merck Animal Health. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Amy Grice, VMD, MBA. Dr. Grice practiced for more than 20 years and she has a strong business credentials. She consults with and advises veterinarians and practice owners on a wide variety of projects and challenges through her veterinary business consulting company. Thank you, Dr. Grice, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to give us some of the results of a survey on the pandemic key issues for veterinarians. Well, thanks, Kim, for having me with you today. It's uh, it's an interesting topic, and some of the results may be different than what um, people expect. Well, and that's true. We want to remind our listeners or to give our listeners a note that there will be an article on this survey by Dr. Grice in the winter issue of Equimanagement Magazine that's brought to you by Merck Animal Health. And she will be covering um, a few of the same things we're talking about in the podcast today, but she'll get a little more in depth and have some of the graphics and statistics that you can uh, check out in that article. So Dr. Grice, so what were some of the key takeaways from this survey of veterinarians? Well, you know, it's really interesting. Um, with this survey, we had a number of uh, individuals answer, about uh, a little over 200 veterinarians responded. Um, and we had asked them what year they graduated. And it was pretty interesting because about a third of them were in their first 10 years, a third of them in their second um uh, 10 years. And then, uh, you know, the last third had been in practice o over 20 years. And so we had lots of veterinary uh, practice owners. 75% of the folks um, that responded were owners and just 25% were associates. So we really got to, to uh, the ability to drill down into some of the financial um, aspects of how practices were um, being affected by the pandemic, because as you might guess, associates often don't know the financial details. So it, it was pretty cool that we had those um, stakeholders answering. Um, we also asked those that responded what geographic zone they uh, were practicing in. And, and it's interesting because zones that we used were based on zip codes. So the first number of their zip code was the number of their zone. So um, zone zero has all zip codes that start with zero. And so those states were represented. And so we were able to look at the results by where in the country people lived and what a difference that made in some of the results. Um, and that makes sense because different areas of the country were affected differently by the pandemic and the states had different kinds of ways of responding to the pandemic. And so, of course, um, practices had a different um, experience. Um, you know, we asked just in general um, how the pandemic affected practice operations. Just, And that could mean everything from how many hours they were open or what sort of um, services they were providing. But we just asked that question in a general way. And interestingly, 
a very small number said that their practices were affected a great deal. Only about 6% across the nation said that their practices were affected a great deal. And, you know, the majority of practices, a little over half said that they were affected only mildly or a little. And so this is pretty great because, you know, I know families and businesses um, in other uh, in other areas were not other areas, but other types of businesses were affected greatly, like restaurants or um, retail. Veterinary medicine has served to be pretty resilient. And so that was um, very, very good news. And as we were starting down the road of the pandemic, I think people were very apprehensive um, about what was going to happen and how they were going to um, get through it. And so this was really wonderful news. There was certainly um, variation among the different regions, the different zones. And here's where um, it was kind of interesting because the zones that responded that the pandemic had affected them the most, like greatly, a great deal, were zones where the pandemic didn't hit very hard right away. And so that was zones like zone five, which is Montana, South and North Dakota, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin. So that was interesting. Or zone seven, which is Texas, Oklahoma, um, or nine, which is, that one made sense. That, that's California, Oregon, Washington. Um, and so, of course, they were just the first hit and hit so hard. But the other two, you're sort of like, huh, wonder why. Um, so interesting responses. Um, and what was really interesting to me is when you added up the responses of um, practices that were affected a great deal or moderately quite a lot, um, you know, zone eight, which is um, like uh, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, that was 50% were, were affected quite a bit. So, you know, it really, you would have expected that maybe the East Coast and then the Northwest would have had the biggest effect because they had the biggest effect from the pandemic. But with these results, we really didn't see that so much. So interesting um, how that all worked out. Now, um, you know, the other uh, thing that was very variable among different regions was just within practices and within families and, and practice members' families and, you know, how much um, there was actual disease or positive testing or uh, staff members that were sick, family members that were sick, or, or family members or staff members that tested positive, whether patients, um, uh, owners were testing positive or were sick. And so um, what, was, uh, what was kind of interesting about this is that we had a lot of um, practices, in fact, Many, many practices um, had uh, staff caring for 
um, animals that were owned either by COVID-19 patients or by clients who had tested positive. So um, the use of personal protective equipment um, was very, very important because there was a potential for exposure, really, um, truly. Um, and interestingly, we did have um, one area of the country that, um, you know, had respondents that were about a fifth to a quarter of respondents in zone five whose family or staff's family or themselves or their staff had been ill with COVID-like symptoms. So that was very interesting as well, um, that there were very, the, you know, pretty big differences. And some of those differences were in um, how many people had been tested. Um, interestingly, in the zone where they had the most people that had been sick, they also had that zone had the highest number, 60% of, of uh, individuals that had not been tested. So it, it's a very interesting difference um, in how things were handled across the country. So I think one of the burning questions that everybody has about what's happened here is, is what has happened financially for practices. I know that um, you know people have been very, very concerned about um, what would happen with their practices, finances. People um, were very interested in how they were going to survive. Would they need a PPP loan? What would happen to them? And so, um, you know, across the board, when we looked at all the respondents nationally, um, you know, we were able to see that very few practices. Um, really had had a huge, you know, high negative financial impact on their practices. It's uh, the small animal world had a lot of tracking going on of practices. There's a, a company called Vet Success that did an impact tracker and they updated it with, they had 2,500 companion animal practices that were reporting in what was going on on a weekly basis. And those were being posted on a weekly basis on a website that was available to look at. And it was pretty, um, it was pretty dire at first. We saw uh, in those companion animal practices some really sharp revenue drops. Um, and then they just came roaring back. Um, some were up 15%. Um, over the previous year at that same point in time the previous year. So there was a lot of resilience in veterinary medicine. And, and it's interesting that, that some people said, yeah, everybody's at home watching their animals doing things they never knew they did before. You know, they're, they're licking their paw all day long. Um, and so a little bit of that may have happened with the horses as well, if they were at home with their owners, um, you know, that, that maybe there was more need for veterinary services because we really saw that with equine veterinary practices as well. Across the country, um, more than 29%, so 29.5% said that their practice was financially about the same as before the COVID-19 thing. 
and 27.5, 27.5 said that their practice was doing financially better than it had before COVID-19. Only 2.9 said it was a great deal worse. So about 3% were doing a lot worse. But, oh my goodness, more than a quarter were doing better and a quarter were doing the same, right? So really, really wonderful news um, for equine veterinarians and equine veterinary practices, but except that they were really busy and everything took longer and it was really hard to have enough time, to, you know, to take the extra time um, to take the precautions they needed to take. So <clears throat> when, when those results, those financial results were split into uh, the zones, wow, that was interesting. 50% um, of the zone seven respondents, now zone seven, Texas, Oklahoma, um, Louisiana, I think, and Arkansas, but Texas, Texas is big, right? And a big giant horse place. So 50% of those zone seven folks said that their practices were better off than the previous year. So that's, you know, a very high number. Um, other zones that were, you know, had higher financial performance, zone zero, who would have thought? They, you know, they had a terrible COVID deal, zone two and zone nine. So um, it was fairly um, variable between zones. And that's one of the things that I'm sure that you'll all really enjoy um, is looking through those figures to see which zones were doing well and finding your own zone and seeing how that made sense to you and how you did in comparison to others in your zone. Um, because there really were pretty high variations between the different regions. So, um, you know, there were regions that had a lot of mandates from the state. Some of the boarding facilities had to close to clients. Um, people had uh, horse shows and other racetrack events and rodeos, things that just couldn't happen. And so um, along with that, some of the practices were not, they were supposed to only provide essential services. And so there was some thought about, well, what exactly is an essential service? And at first there were not very many guidelines given by states. Um, so some folks were just providing emergency services. Some were conserving protective equipment um, so that they could give it to hospitals that were treating humans um, and protect uh, the frontline workers, the nurses and the ICU docs and stuff, because some of those folks just simply did not have what they needed and they were really at high risk. So some folks I heard from that were in fact um, gathering PPE and taking it to their human hospitals. So they were avoiding doing particular things that they would need those um, protective things like gloves and masks and all. Um, they weren't doing those services and they felt that that was their moral obligation. <clears throat> and so 
You know, about a third of respondents didn't have any changes in their offered services, um, but a third had at least some period of time when they were only offering um, urgent and emergency services. And um, those certainly uh, varied by zone, and that makes sense, you know, because this was a, a, a temporally very different uh, pandemic that moved across the country in different ways. 75% um, of the people that responded to the survey were using <clears throat> careful, cautious uh, PPE. They were using masks and gloves when they were seeing clients. They were being very careful. Um, and, you know, about a quarter were using telemedicine more than they had before, or if they had never used it before, they began to use it. And most people, um, when they talk about telemedicine, they they often think that there's something special. Um, although there are special new programs that you can um, then have those interactions go into your medical records much more efficiently, but most of us that have ever watched a video of a horse on our phone that was texted to us, were you? That's telemedicine. So we're kind of all doing it in a way. Um, so people started doing more of it, and that's only common sense. Um, when we talk about changes of like, did people get laid off? Um, only about a fifth uh reduced hours or laid people off in their staff their lay staff um and about seven percent uh laid off or reduced hours or furloughed veterinary staff so it was a very small number of veterinary staff that um you know actual veterinarians that were reduced in hours because most practices ended up busier um and it everything took too much time so um, those that had hospitals, and we didn't ask um, in the survey whether people had hospitals, but um, I'm assuming it was those that had hospitals because 14% answered that they split their practice member into teams. And so most ambulatory uh, practices wouldn't have so much time together that they would need to be in teams. And another question was, um, you know, what are the areas where your practice is, is back to normal now? And just thinking about uh, a lot of the different uh, areas of things that could be changed, like the hours that they're open, the days that they're open, whether they're providing all the services. And, you know, more than half of respondents said everything was operating normally. Um, so, so there was not, the survey was out at the end of August, um, and there was not a lot of um, of respondents that indicated that their practices were were not um, back to normal. Today's Disease to Shore podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. 
the makers of Prestige Vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their ongoing investment in our industry, profession, and community at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. One of the other things we asked about was um, how the veterinarians thought that the equine industry was doing um, in their region, whether they thought it was um, very affected, uh, you know, just moderately affected or really not not much affected at all. And, um, you know, uh, most, most respondents across the country uh, indicated that their areas had mild to moderate decrease in activity. Um, but again, there were certainly uh, regional differences. Um, zone zero, which is up in New England, um, saw a big effect. They, uh, about a fifth of them answered greatly a great deal. And this is often because of the mandates from the states to close boarding facilities. And many, 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 many people in that area um, because of the the uh, the close nature of the um, the area, lots of suburbs, houses close together, not a lot of not a lot of land. Many people have their horses in boarding facilities. So um, with those mandates that really affected uh, the equine industry, people were not allowed to go to the boarding facilities. They were not allowed to see their horses, much less ride them. Um, zone four and zone nine also um, had fairly, uh, you know, high numbers, close to a close to 20%. So, you know, uh, depending on how much activity like uh, showing um, racing, the different regions uh, differed somewhat in, in uh, how they were affected, how they thought the equine industry was affected. But it was um, unusual for uh, people to answer that it was not affected at all. That was very um, un unlikely. So, um, you know, when this all started back in, in March and April, as the, the uh, loans from the federal government started to come out in the programs, practices had no idea what was going to happen. And they certainly didn't know that things might get better for their practices financially rather than get worse. And so more than half took a PPE loan in order to keep their staff um, paid and carry on with business as usual, despite these mandates uh, in many states to, you know, only provide essential services. And so, um, interestingly, I think many of those people, although they've financially done better, um, they will be able to show that they spent the money on wages um, and on the things that were allowed for that money, mortgages, mortgage interest, um, allowed for that money to be spent on. And I think it will, you just don't know when you start into this um, type of a situation. It's new to all of us. So along with that, you know, people made changes as they were practicing. They didn't know um, whether those changes were going to be short-term, long-term. Um, and so one of the questions was, 
uh, and it was an open-ended question, um, was what what changes in your operation or in, in the industry do you think might be permanent or maintained as a new normal? Um, and so people, it was open-ended responses. So people, we had about 200 <laughs> different answers, um, but, uh, you know, most of the veterinarians uh, talked about telemedicine and the use of online pharmacies, which minimized um, contact, uh, physical contact with clients and the possibility of being infected with virus. Um, and many thought that they would, um, that that would continue as a permanent change, that sort of shift. Um, probably one of the most uh, prevalent responses was, um, I hope we can just go back to normal, which I think we understand and we all feel that, um, that we kind of liked life as it was. Um, other responses were about social distancing and just being more aware of, um, you know, that, that our health can sometimes depend on our behavior. Um, and so being more aware of sanitation, you know, hand washing, um, just sanitizing surfaces, um, and, and maybe even continuing on those, those uh, that had hospitals continuing curbside service where um, horses would be brought into the hospital and uh, treatment or diagnostics done or given while the client was not present. And so there were those that uh, thought that might become a permanent change because it seemed to be, um, you know, sort of efficient and uh, worked for their hospitals. Another open-ended question was just asking what's the most important thing that you or your practice did um, or is doing now to thrive or survive in 2020. And there were some themes that came out of this. Um, and one was communication, how important communication. It was very, very, very clear when you weren't having this physical contact, you might not even have your client in the barn when you're seeing the horse, how very important communication, very clear um, communication that was emotionally intelligent so that uh, the client could still feel connected to you even though they weren't with you. Um, and another very prevalent answer was the fact that that people felt that the most important thing that they did was they made sure their clients knew that they were available, that they were they were there for them, they were there for their horses, and they were still there ready to work, ready to go out. Um, and so, you know, people um, wanted to continue to provide a high level of service, and they wanted to be sure that their clients knew that. We did a survey earlier in the year, in the spring of 2020, and, and one of the questions in that survey um, asked respondents, what concerns you the most? And, and the choices were, um, you know, about your, you yourself getting ill, your family member getting ill, 
um, the economic downturn on your personal finances or your practices finance, the, the community, the world. And you know that the responses these several months later did not change. The most prevalent uh, concern of respondents was one of their family member or loved one getting sick um, with COVID, uh, followed by themselves getting sick with COVID. Um, people really worried about the people that they loved getting sick. And then um, third was worrying about whether the economic downturn uh, in general uh, was going to have a negative effect personally on their family or household. Um, and so those those answers really didn't change. People really cared about what happened to their loved ones. One thing that did change a little bit from that um, spring survey was uh, respondents were asked about the symptoms of stress that they were experienced. And, you know, exhaustion became more prevalent in the responses. Um, you know, when we looked at everybody, all the respondents together in this August survey, 14% um, didn't report any symptoms of stress. Um, they seemed like they were doing well. And, you know, they could choose um, as many responses as they wanted from the list of symptoms of stress. And about two thirds said that they were feeling anxious or worried. Uh, about 57% reported feeling exhausted, uh, about half feeling overwhelmed, and a third were suffering from insomnia. 38% um, were sad, feeling sad or, or even depressed. 44% um, were short-tempered and irritable. And you can imagine all of this going together, <laughs> you know? You're exhausted, you're busier than normal, the kids are home, you're having to teach them um, life, and you know, everything takes longer, you're worried about your folks or your grandparents or, you know, there's just so much going on. So, you know, about a quarter, we're drinking more alcohol than usual. I'm, you can't see me, but I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I'm, I'm having that second glass of wine pretty much every night. Um, either overeating or failing to eat um, or over-focusing on news, like just getting a little too, um, too down in the, down the rabbit hole about everything going on. Um, you know, we don't know how many of these signs of stress are really a product of the pandemic or whether they're just part of being an equine practitioner, especially an equine practitioner that's now super busy and everything's taking longer and your kids are home from school. And, you know, so it's just, it's not quite clear, but what we do know though, what is really clear is that it's stressful to be an equine doctor, even on the best of days. Um, you know, uh, people could write comments for all of these questions. And, and this particular question got lots and lots of comments about the difficulty in trying to have your kids learning remotely. Um, you know, it just took so much bandwidth to get 
you know, and multiple kids sometimes in multiple grades, trying to get them on multiple Zoom meetings. I mean, who's got that many computers in their house, you know, or that much internet? Um, so it was a lot of extra responsibility. Um, you know, some people, I think it was almost unbearable. Um, so what was interesting, you know, I, I sliced and diced this by these feelings of, of stress or these symptoms of stress by, um, you know, comparing those that had over 20 years of experience with those in their first five years of practice. And, uh, you know, about 20% of those that were, you know, been practicing over 20 years had no signs of stress. Um, whereas those that were in their first five years, um, it was about a 10th that had no stress. So, um, half of those in their first five years reported feeling overwhelmed, short tempered and irritable compared to less than a third of the more experienced veterinarians. And, you know, almost, well, 58% of the younger ones were feeling exhausted. That wasn't as big a difference. About half of the older group were exhausted. Everybody was working really hard. About half of those in those first five years were feeling sad and depressed compared to only about a quarter of those with over 20 years. And so, you know, I think um, that's really important for us as practice owners and older, more experienced veterinarians to be really cognizant of the fact that the younger people just coming out with the educational loans and the young children at home and the associate positions and the long work hours and being exhausted and overwhelmed and sad and depressed that these are all we already had danger and this is piling it on so reaching out to those folks and trying to help them uh with your emotional support and just listening um could really make a difference um it's really uh i think important for all of us to to um be the village um that helps everybody get to the other side of this um, we already have some concern about the retention of equine veterinarians in the field and i just would hate to see this be the straw um, that pushes more of these wonderful young veterinarians out of our profession because it is a great way to spend your life taking care of horses um, it's a wonderful wonderful profession so I hope that the pressures that we have with the pandemic aren't going to exacerbate this uh, trend. It's that would uh, that would really be a sad thing. So, you know, we talked about uh, we only have a couple of minutes, but we talked about some practical issues about um, getting CE credits and whether people like virtual learning and virtual CE and you know, most folks, no matter what their demographic, uh, their number of years in practice didn't matter. Um, they were really grateful to have lots of opportunities to get CE online. They love going to meetings where they get to see their friends and have social um, connections, but they're really glad to be able to keep learning. And the other point that they made was that 
they had a lot of gratitude to the industry partners, um, both distributors and manufacturers for the opportunities that those companies have provided uh, both for CE and for backordered goods and for simply, you know, coming in and, and being a listening ear and keeping in touch with them. Um, so they, they, there's a lot of gratitude out there. Thank you, Dr. Grice, for taking the time to go over the survey results with us on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us today, and a special thanks to our 2020 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Please listen, rate previous and future episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. Follow Equimanagement on Facebook or our website, or if you want, you can send me an email at kbrown at aimmedia.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.